The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and to my left is Sarita Eye Candy Edgerton. <laughs> Whoa. Hallelujah. I'm eye candy today. Wait a minute. Let me smoke this. Like a Skittle tastes like a rainbow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. And to my right, she is back. Yay, dun, Carrie. Dun. Should I do What kind of a song? Do you dun, have a song? Dun, dun. Guess who's back? Back again. Cherry's oh, back. <laughs> Tell a friend. Cherry, I'm the so annihilator. Sorry, Dr. Birding. Yeah, sorry. Uh, hi, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't back. have Billy Eye Candy. We don't have Josh. Uh, I candy part two. <laughs> we don't have Rick Carter. We don't have Ralph Hicks. Uh, Ralph, I, t- I spoke with him today. Oh, yeah. He will be back in studio the next time we're back in studio. So wow. things are starting to turn around oh, uh, for him, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. And then uh, Josh was sick. So uh, I'll make the announcement now. Would you like to make the announcement, Sarita? For what? In regarding to Josh. In regard to Josh. Sure. Josh Sexton is going to be a full-time cast member of The Burroughs of Berea. Bam. So we got Joshua Ooh-hoo. Sexton. He's going to be on our show now. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I keep getting a lot of trouble for that. I shouldn't say it. No. But uh, no, he's going to be a full-time member. We're all excited to have him. This room is going to be really full. Yeah, I think we've good. maxed it out now. Well, and so well, Love Josh. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm not going to lie. I hope we never get a day when everybody shows up. I like, <laughs> I like the idea of every one of these people. But yeah. Boy, you get like nine people on a podcast, and it's uh, crazy talk. Yeah, it's a lot of. It, we it should just call it crazy talk. Incredible, intense, incredibly intense. Yeah. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm I'm glad that we have such a large group because situations like today, I love the rotating nature. Of yeah, it's it. wonderful. I love the in and out nature. Yeah, uh, we always have to be in it, but uh, everybody else. <laughs> Actually, I've talked to you guys about doing side studies without me, so I'm all about there's it. There's a there's a couple people that could carry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not me, for the well, record. <laughs> well, let's get on to our guest. Um, I was introduced to him via email um, a few months back, and we've been trying to work this out as far as our schedule is concerned. And uh, today, uh, we have Dr. Kenneth Birding of Biola University. He is the um, professor of New Testament studies at Biola University. And uh, let me give you a little bit of his background. Uh, he has a PhD from Westminster Theological Seminary, an MA at Talbot School of Theology, MA uh, from Trinity Theological Seminary, and then a bachelor's in theology, it looks like, from Multnomah University. He is the author of various books, some academics, such as Polycarp and Paul, some semi-academics, uh, such as What Are Spiritual Gifts, Rethinking the Conventional View, others for the classroom, such as Sing and Learn, the New Testament Greek, or the Apostolic Fathers, a narrative introduction. I'm really looking forward to hearing about that, because I, I I always wanted to learn Greek. So I guess you can sing Greek, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
uh, and still mm-hmm. others for the church, such as Walking in the Spirit, Bible Revival, Recommitting Ourselves to One Book, or How to Live an In Christ Life. He has published articles in such journals as the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society, Vigile Christiane, I think that's right, New Testament Studies, Journal of Early Christian Studies, and Westminster Theological Journal. He is the founder of Bible Fluency, Sing It, See It, Study It, and you can find that at BibleFluency.com and edits the Good Book blog. Before coming to Talbot, Birding was a church planter. Check this out. A church planter in the Middle East and taught at Nyack College in New York City. He has a heart for God in ministry, has written many worship songs, and has served as a worship pastor in local church ministry, and is an overseer at Redemption Hill Church in Whittier, California. He regularly blogs at Kindle Afresh. The blog and website of Kenneth Birding can be found at kennethburding.com and at the Good Book blog. That's a lot to say about this one man. Dr. Birding, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, it's so glad to be with you. I wish my mom had heard that. She would have believed it. <laughs> Yeah, did you ever, you know, when you started the journey, did you ever think you'd get to where you are? You know what? I just want to be faithful. At the end of the day, that's what I want to do. Absolutely. Well... So I, I believe I, I believe I was introduced to you by through Bob Crookshank. It was just a uh, you know through through email, and um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for uh, sharing your testimony with us today. I'm very I'm very curious. So um, one of the first questions that I ask all my guests is, can you tell me to the best of your ability when the first time you heard the name Jesus Christ? Uh, yeah, I would have been six. Hmm. My parents had just given their lives to Christ in the middle of the Jesus movement in 1970. And I embraced what they embraced. It was a pretty cool moment, actually. Wow. So that so you heard about it and then embraced it kind of simultaneously. Yeah, well, my, my dad and mom came to the Lord in 1970, and then they started sharing the Lord with the people who were you know, next door. And my babysitter, so I was six, yeah. Uh, she gave life to Christ and she shared with, with her boyfriend who drove around in a VW bus, spray painted. He had long hair, barefoot. He gave his life to Christ too. And then they started inviting their friends over to our house. And pretty soon we had 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60, 70 long hair, barefoot, sometimes strung out on drugs, you know, teenagers studying the Bible. And yeah. that's what was happening in California in 1970. And so I was, I, I'm a product of that, and I remember that. It's even part of my testimony today. Wow. So that Jesus Revolution movie was it essentially was. your your life. Exactly. From the ages of six to eight, I saw all of that stuff take place. So I'm too young to be a hippie, but I remember it really well. It impacted me really a lot. Very interesting time to grow up, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I know that, um, of course, Billy Graham— uh, embrace that movement. It was a massive movement. Um, that's was. really when Christian music really started taking a turn. You know, one of my favorite artists, Keith Green, he comes in later, much later. There was like Love Song. Um, uh, this is when Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith and all that had started early on. And then, you know, that that entire, you know, music movement happened right around that time. And it was coming out of California. I mean, it was amazing. I, I didn't even start mentioning this as part of my testimony until a few years ago, but it had such a deep impact on me that even to this day, I just live with an expectation that 
God can do something and God might just do something really dramatic at any moment. So I'm trying to be expectant and waiting for that. I think that's where that influence came from. Wow. So tell me about the, your, the time, like your salvation experience. I'm really interested from the time of your parents and then seeing all of that. So when did this uh, happen for you exactly? Um, it happened uh, corresponding to what was happening in my parents' life because it was so dramatic. My dad came to the Lord. My mom had some sort of relationship with the Lord as a teenager, but came back really strongly and just loved Jesus times. And I just embraced at a six-year-old level mm. what um, what they had. But really, it was I was 14 when it really, really impacted my life. Mm-hmm. Want me to tell you a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, when I was 14, I don't know to this day whether it was three nights or four nights of sleep that I lost in my freshman year of high school. And I just started thinking about eternity, like if there really is a God if eternity is real, and I've got to start living in light of that rather than now kind of in my in my 14-year-old mind, I'm like born here, I die here, and you know, just go to whatever wall you're in the room. Even if eternity is only that long, I've got to, I've got to live in light of that instead of now. And that was the way I thought about it. And it just it just grabbed my mind and I couldn't get over it. And I lost. Again, I told you I don't know if it's three or four nights of sleep. And um, I came out of that uh, just with eternity kind of like deeply embedded in my heart. So if I got kind of off the trajectory I got started on when I was a 14-year-old, I think I would be missing my calling today because mm. God did something so dramatic in my life. So, so that's when it really Were you going – so you had talked about being in a home church there for a while, but did you guys end up going to like just a regular church somewhere there in California? Yeah, we went to a regular church as well, but this was just something that was happening on the side. Mm. My, by the way, um, during that time, the G- during the Jesus movement thing, uh, my parents were doing this, only knowing about like one other group across town where this was happening, but it was actually happening in you know hundreds and thousands of homes across California and other places as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were in a regular church too, kind of stuffy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nice. allergic to the Holy Spirit type of church, but still people who love the Lord as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that allergic to the Holy Spirit. I hear that a lot actually. Whenever you um, let's let's go from fourteen from fourteen on. So this this has impacted your life now, and you're beginning to live a life of the Christian. And at what point do you determine? hey, I, I want to become educated in this. Um, well, I never really, after age 14, I never really wanted to do anything else. Hmm. I did have a dream of having my own, you know, music studio, and I'd been mowing lawns and saving up for that. And I thought maybe I'd be doing that back in the days of eight-track tape and stuff. But I wanted my own 16-track recorder, which was the cutting-edge thing then. But that fell off pretty quickly. I care a lot more about the word of God. It's trying to share the gospel with my friends. I even, when I was 17, I I finally realized that I've got to learn how to pray, which was the really hard one, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So like everyone who's really makes an impact in the world, they pray. And um, that was really hard. I committed when I was um, a 17-year-old, my last semester, to pray a half an hour a day. Oh, my word. 
that was the hardest thing I ever committed to in my <laughs> life. Cause I don't think I'd ever prayed more than about five minutes. Yeah. I was walking around the room, banging against the walls, you know, kneeling on the side of the bed. I fell asleep kneeling a number of times, but eventually it started to really make a difference. I saw changes in my life, the way I interacted with others. I actually started to see answers to prayer. Anyway, this had so overtaken my life as far as wanting to study anything else. It was only music that I really wanted to study. So I started at San Jose State, did some of that, but pretty soon I transferred to a Bible college. Hmm. It's now called Multnomah University, but it really was a Bible college at that time. Hmm. So you're you're on this trajectory of music, and then suddenly you just yeah. decide to get more serious about um, learning about the Bible. And, and yeah. how long have you been the... Uh, New Testament studies professor at Biola University? Um, 21 years. For 21 years. Wow. Yeah. And so tell me about that. Like you, here in North Carolina, at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, we have um, New Testament studies professor Bart Ehrman. I'm sure you know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, being an atheist, but teaching New Testament studies, um, he has a perspective, of course, that he brings. Um, from the quote unquote scholarly, you know, I, I say that not being lighthearted, but just from a scholar, you know, scholars and skeptics, the way that it goes. So for you in New Testament studies, you're coming up from it from a believer standpoint. And Bible University is a Christian university, of course. Sure. But, you yeah. know, what would you say that makes your style of teaching different than somebody like Abart Ehrman? Yeah, well, if you really believe it, then you embrace it in a different sort of way. It impacts the way that you apply scripture as well. I think that if you if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing through scripture, then you can understand the grammar. You can understand the history just as well as somebody else. You can do text criticism, and he is a text critic, um, at least in the past. He now has some skepticism about whether you can actually get at the Um, original text. So that might put him outside the pale of being a regular text critic now. Mm -hmm. But but as far as application, as far as impact, uh, yeah, you need the Holy Spirit. You need God to help you with that. And so, um, and also besides, you know, it's a a presuppositional thing. You, um, you know, he has a presupposition that is anti-miraculous but you know all the writers of scripture they were they were supernaturalists mm-hmm. and almost everyone in the ancient world was as well so if we're going to actually share the presuppositions of the people who write scripture you know we're going to do a lot better in actually interpreting what scripture says mm-hmm. i would agree if with that believe, yeah if you believe that angels exist if you believe that demons exist if you believe that there's heaven if you believe that there's hell if you believe that the resurrection of jesus actually happened that there's going to be a future resurrection. Well, you're actually sharing the presuppositions of the of the New Testament writers, so mm-hmm. you're not like kind of pushing against that. So it comes out really differently. Yeah, sure. There seems to be a. We had a a guest a couple of weeks back, uh, Dr. Sam Frost, and one of the things that he was talking about as far as scholarship, he he was really in, you know, in deep into scholarship, into the languages and everything, and he said that. What I've discovered is that most of the scholars that I see, um, they become skeptic, you know, just of the Bible itself. So I think you're 100% right. Without the aiding of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to 
to look at this book in the same way that a text critic would look at it, you know, under the under a microscope. Um, but are there any things that you've heard? Like, I mean, obviously you study the Greek and the Hebrew. I mean, are there any texts or any text criticism that are that stand from the skeptic side that are hard for you to defend? You know, do do you come across those kinds of things? Yeah, certainly I've had times in my life where there's been texts that have been difficult for me. I could probably mention a couple to you. I really struggled with the way Paul was interpreting uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, where he's interpreting uh, about how you how you need to, to give finances to ministers. And so don't muzzle an ox while he's treading. So it's not a text critical thing, but it's a New Testament use of the Old Testament. And you're like, seriously, you're making an argument from not muzzling an ox to make sure you have money to those who are actually serving the Lord and the ministry of the word. And I just thought he was just yanking it out of context. But you know what? Even those types of things, sometimes uh, as time goes on, you can actually see a way through them. Here's, here's what I assume. I assume that the scripture has been so faithful in so many different ways that if I don't know the answer to the question, that doesn't mean that there's not a good answer. It just means I haven't come upon it yet. Sure. In that particular case, I read um, a really great article like 20 years after I started struggling with this by Jan Verbrugge, where he actually says, if you actually look at the original context that he's quoting from in the law of Moses, all the all the pieces around it are actually talking about love of neighbor. It's not about animals that he's caring about in that point. And Paul says that, does God care about animals? No, this is all written for us. Mm-hmm. You're like, what are you talking about, Paul? Yeah, it wasn't about animal care, even though I'm sure God cares about animals, but that's not what that was about. He was caring about like, don't borrow your animal's ox, put a muzzle over him, don't feed him while he's threshing and then return uh, that hurting, unfed, untaken care of ox to your neighbor because then you're not loving your neighbor. Mm. And that makes that a lot more sense in the way that he applies it in the New Testament. Sure. So yeah, there have definitely been things along the way and there continue sometimes to be ones that I just, I don't know how to resolve them. Mm-hmm. But there aren't that many of them anymore. Yeah. More and more. I just take time. So how about your, what about your students? You know, do you, when you have young people that come in, I'm sure you get a lot of the same questions over and over. Am I right? <laughs> yep. It's one of the great things about being a professor. They actually think you're really smart because you keep getting asked the same questions. So you learn how to answer it. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But I love it when I get an occasional question that's just, you know, super outside the box. But yeah, I love college students and I love Bible students. They're really, they're really interested in learning and mm-hmm. they want to learn. Some of them are more skeptical and some of them are more believing. I mean, we're all, uh, this is definitely a Christian school, but, you know, among your students, you get a whole range. Sure. So I have to ask you now, and we'll we'll get back more into your testimony, but I got to know something. So what is this sing it and learn it thing that you do? (laughs) All right. So it started with Greek. I had to learn Greek twice because I learned Greek as an undergrad, and then we went overseas and I learned a Middle Eastern language. And that was really hard. And, and my Greek, I kept up for a long time. And then I 
and kind of fell off. So I had to relearn it. So while I relearned it, I decided to relearn it in a way that I could teach it as well. Mm-hmm. So I started making up really simple children's songs. Well, I started making up really cool songs for a while. And then I realized these aren't going to work. So I started using children's songs so that they would become earworms. Mm-hmm. And they would be the, the types of songs that would stick in their minds. They wake up in the middle of the night and they wouldn't be able to get them out of their minds. So those are the types of songs that did. And I just put Greek grammar to music. So you can sing, you know, the articles, the noun endings, the indicative verb endings, the participle forms, infinitives, imperatives, you know, even, even prepositions. All of those are put to music because there's so many different forms in Greek. Mm. So I just, we just sing those. We sing them and clap. We start chanting them and then I give them a button if they can do all of Greek grammar in, in 75 seconds. It's like the most coveted button on Biola's campus. <laughs> Were you going to ask something, Andy? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the uh, like tenses and forms is a thing we've been talking about lately, actually, mm-hmm. as far as like how the they get translated and then you have to deal with that translation because there's a tense that doesn't exist in English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I put you on the spot? Is it possible mm-hmm. that you could give me like an example? Oh. <laughs> oh, Sing to us, Dr. Yeah. Birding. <laughs> I'm really curious. Do you have any kind yeah, of an well, Okay, so there's 24 forms of the, the article in Greek. Okay. And it says, And we would just learn it by going, Do that, that's three blind mice. Ah. So they would that way. Yeah. So in my sorority, well, really, that's how we learn Greek our Greek letters in our sorority was yeah. to different music. Yeah, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, hey, hi, ho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and then you take a shot. <laughs> that was for rush. We couldn't do that. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know, you, you can actually sing the alphabet, the Greek alphabet, to the English alphabet song. Oh. Okay. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon. Anyway, you can go all the way through it. There's a way. If you want to check out my songs, you can hear it there. I learned some uh, Hebrew from Barney uh, <laughs> whenever my son was a kid. Aleph, bet, bet, aleph, bet, gimel, dalet, Yeah, you know that, right? So, yeah, that's how I learned the Hebrew alphabet, actually. Really? From Barney? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we. No, from Barney. Oh, did you? Oh, I, yeah. I literally, my, my, my kids were listening to Barney. I learned the alphabet and I learned Hebrew after that because I learned Greek. And then I had kids and then I learned Hebrew. Yeah. You got to wait till that have kids call. to learn Hebrew. <laughs> For sure. So, wow. And so then That's you've good. actually, so that work that you've done, you've, you've written books on it and you have, and it can be seen on your website, correct? Uh, so the the Greek songs was published by Zondervan. Okay, and now it's you know up until last year I think it was being sold as as a CD, but you know that's old technology now. So you can it's possible to download just an MP3 of it, and um, it comes with a little booklet. Yeah, and so is that yeah. just beginner? Is that beginner, or do you actually get into some pretty advanced Greek? No, it's just beginning. Greek. Just beginning Greek. Okay, just the basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in that part that I read at the very beginning, it said that you were a church planter in the Middle East. Yep. 
Tell me about that. So that was before you learned Greek. That's right. No, that's not right. Oh, it's I not learned right. Greek before. Okay. And then oh, I that's right. You had to learn it again. That's right. So you went to the Middle right. East. So tell me about that. So where in the Middle East and, and what was that like? That that, that sounds inter- interesting. Yeah. So it was it was in the Middle East. I'll just leave the, the nation itself off the podcast okay. because of where I went. But it, um, it was a place that um, is almost entirely Muslim. Mm-hmm. My wife and I went there because... Uh, um, it was one of the most unreached countries in the world and they needed the gospel. And so we decided that we would go there live there and maybe die there. Really? And, um, try to introduce people to the, the gospel. And it was good. It was really hard and it was really good. I'm really glad that we did it. My wife wouldn't trade, trade for anything, but there were really tough days while we were there. And a large part of the spiritual formation that has taken place in my life happened while we were there. Hmm. I guarantee it. So, so we went to we went to one city, and we were there for two and a half years. And we that city was a city of two million that had fifteen Muslim background believers. So imagine a city of two million with only fifteen Muslim background believers in the entire city, and there were only about fifteen like non-Muslim, like like foreign people there who called themselves Christian in the entire city. Um, so it was very unreached, but there was a city to the north that seemed even more unreached. So we went to that city. It was a city of a million, and it had no Christians whatsoever. There was no gospel outreach there. And we just prayed that God would do something there. And it was tough. I'll tell you what. I can remember going out on uh, my prayer walk because I finally figured out that the best way for me to pray was to walk. Mm-hmm. And I would sometimes thank God for the trees, only because I knew at the final day when Jesus returned, at least they were going to give praise to God. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure anyone else was going to. A lot of spiritual warfare. We had some opposition from authorities. We had opposition from uh, kind of nationalist, Islamic fundamentalist types as well. Mm. We had some really hard days, too. Sometimes just being a young man, too, and carrying the pastoral load of people who started to come to the Lord mm-hmm. was really tough sometimes just because I was young. And, um, and yet God met us there. And by the time we left, there were 15 Muslim background believers there. And we keep in touch with that church all the time. And I know the pastor well. He's somebody that I introduced to Christ and baptized. And, um, I don't know. In that city, there's probably as many as 100 hundred followers of Jesus mm. living in a really tough, really tough place. But you know what? Yeah. They're following Jesus. I couldn't <laughs> be more happy about that. Wow. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, to say that it's unreached, it's hard to believe that after 2000 years that we still have pockets in the world that are, that haven't been reached in the Middle East. So mm-hmm. it, it, isn't that, it doesn't it strike you as bizarre you know, that it hasn't been reached, you know? Well, it was reached, but then we had, uh, you know, coming in from Central Asia, we had the Muslim armies come in mm-hmm. and coming out of the uh, Arabian Peninsula. And so there was, pushed you know, some out. of the trade actually got pushed out or just wiped out in many places. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I know that Tertullian said that, uh, that, 
the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But the reality is that in some places, the church been, you know, totally wiped out. Mm-hmm. But God's doing something again right now. Yeah. In every every pocket in the Middle East, there's there's things happening. You think of what God's doing in Iran? Oh my word. Mm. That's just amazing. I heard a, a fella give his testimony a couple of years ago at church camp and um he was from Iran and defected or whatever, I don't know, immigrated here. Um but he shared his testimony and he said, In the middle of the night I woke up. And Jesus was standing in my room, and he witnessed to me in my dream or my vision or whatever you want to call that supernatural experience. Um, And it happened to almost everyone in his whole family. His dad was arrested for it, um, never seen again. He got out along with one sister um, and came came to the States. But um, he said the dreams and the visions are happening and it's unlike anything he had ever, like he experienced it. He said, he said, in America, y'all don't dream dreams like this. And y'all don't have visions like this. And, but that's the only way that the gospel gets in sometimes in some of those really tight, oppressive regime governments. Wow. That's amazing. It was yeah, a powerful, were, it was a powerful testimony. One of those times where the hair on the back of your neck stands up because you know you can almost feel the spiritual presence <laughs> that he felt when he shared that. And it was from a place of genuineness in his heart. And everybody just teenagers, just hundreds of teenagers standing there listening to him quiet. It was bizarre. It was the most I'd never seen that many teenagers be that quiet ever. Mm. Yeah, I mean, God is doing some significant things, places like Iran and Indonesia. Uh, huge uh, huge numbers of Muslims coming to Christ. But there are other places, like the country that I was in, that it's still, it's pretty tough going. But God's going to do something. I really believe it. Mm-hmm. So what about, so let's talk about today. So obviously, yes, you're a professor at Biola, but it also mm-hmm. said that you are, um, that you do you do the music ministry at a, a church or what is it that you do today? No, I was in the past when I was in New York. I was a I was a worship pastor, hmm. um, but no, I'm a I'm an elder at my church, and um, you know I do some teaching there as well, some preaching there. But the primary the primary thing that I do probably in ministry, maybe more than anything else, apart from my teaching at school and meeting with students all the time is that my wife and I run a, a Christian community for college students. So we, we literally have, have living on our property with us for the past five years. We have college students, usually 10 at a time. So six college girls and, and four college guys or six college guys and four college girls, because we live on a property that has three living units. My my wife and I and my family live in one, and then we have one for the girls to one for the guys, and it just changes year by year which one it is. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is not a commune or a compound. We don't all live in the same space with each other. <laughs> they have different front doors, different you know, separate kitchens. Yeah, but we we pray together twice a week. We meet weekly for mentoring, mm-hmm. discipleship times. 
We have a lot of meals together. We even do an occasional outreach together. And then we kick them out after a year and we bring in another group. So we've just cycled out our group from this past year. And we've got a whole another group that's planning to come in this next year. Hmm. So we do a lot of work there. I had to make a decision a few years ago whether to kind of take my ministry more kind of outward facing or whether to kind of make, bring it more inward facing. I had to do some honest thinking about where has been the greatest fruit in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I decided that the times that I was spending with, with young people, just talking about life, working through things in their life, helping them learn how to pray, love the Lord, be faithful to scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, those were having long-term impacts. So it's not always the easiest for me. In some ways it would be easier to be more outward facing, but um I decided to do this along. And my wife, she's just really into this. She was like born for this kind of ministry. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's really great. Um, so that's a, that's a big thing that we do. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you still do any kind of outreach beyond that? Do you, do you go into the community or do you do anything in like missionary journeys or anything still since you have that in your past? Yeah. I mean, I sometimes will travel overseas, but I, um, and sometimes we do outreaches as well. I mean, we did a Christmas outreach this last year with our with our little community. Hmm. Yeah, not as much as I'd like to be doing. Sure, sure. Now, and I don't know this for certain, but just because I don't know everything, but um, do you know Sean McDowell? Uh-huh. I know Sean. Is he there at Biola? Yes. He is. Now, yeah, he's the I'm son right. of Josh McDowell, right? That's correct. Yeah, that book, his book, More Than a Carpenter, changed my life when I was mm-hmm. young. And uh, that, that's, that's one of my go-tos, That Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Whenever I was young, those books. But Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, was amazing. And I came across uh, his son's YouTube channel, Sean McDowell, and I thought it said that he was at Biola. So you know Sean. Yeah, he's one of the professors at um, Talbot, where I teach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just curious if you knew him. That's uh, if you see him, tell him that the boroughs of Bria know who he is, and we love his channel. <laughs> yeah, I'll let him know. Yeah, thank that's you very great. much. Yeah, that's really cool. So, um, well, I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing your testimony here. Sure. Yeah, and uh, tell us about where we can find your work. We talked about your website. What's what's available on uh, KenBirding dot com? Uh, I write. Uh, a new blog every about every 10 days. Mm-hmm. So I put up three months and they have to do with biblical studies or Christian life, some theology, occasional cultural uh, stuff, some things about missions and outreach. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing that you'll see there, but it's links to links to books and articles and things like that. Yeah. And your books are, are they available on just your website or are they also available elsewhere? Uh, they're they're available everywhere. They're they're published by regular publish, publishers. Right. right. Okay. Well, let's give them yeah. the title of those books. Can we do that? Paul and Polycarp. Paul and Polycarp. I saw that. What other books do you have available? Uh, I wrote a book just recently that just came out. I've got it next to me. It's called Paul's Thorn in the Flesh: New Clues for an Old Problem. Ah. So that's. That's a, that's a more academic book, but it is readable, actually. Um, I have a, a devotional book on 
the doctrine of union with Christ mm -hmm. called How to Live in Christ's Life, 100 devotional readings on union with Christ. Basically, the, the most important doctrine that, that um, biblical scholars and theologians talk about that we never talk about in the church. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, an introduction to the Apostolic Fathers that's written in narrative format. I have a book called uh, What are Spiritual Gifts? Rethinking the Conventional View, which I think we have misunderstood spiritual gifts. So that's that's there. I have a book called Walking in the Spirit. It's more personal. Uh, a book called Bible Revival, Re Recommitting Ourselves to One Book. It's kind of a, a kick in the back end to actually pick up the Bible and read it. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, boy, um, we that's what we do here on this podcast is we just read the book. And my, oh, my, have we really got into it in here. There's so, so it's a wealth of information. <laughs> so yeah. much. Yeah. I, I have a question. Yeah. So I was looking at your, I told you today, I just did a little research and um, you had a blog that caught my interest because we do talk a lot of eschatology on this particular podcast. And many of us have different views um, on it. You wrote an article called Overreal, What is Overrealized Eschatology? And I read it and I read it twice and then I read it a third time because, okay, it's way over my head. Um, so can you briefly go into what your thoughts are on that? And then can Cherry ask him the question that Billy always asks? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, sure. So what is, what is, what is overrealized eschatology? Well, you know what eschatology is. You guys talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. yes. It's, it's the future. So what's going to happen in the future? Study of the future. Realized eschatology is those things about the future that got pulled into the present. So things that are about the future that we get to share in right now. So if you read the prophets, they talk about forgiveness of sins. They talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are eschatological concepts, but we share in those right now. So from the New Testament writer's perspective anyway, there is definitely a nowness and a not yetness to eschatology. So we get, we're in the last days. We get to share these things right now. So overrealized eschatology is just when you take too much from the future and claim it for right now. Hmm. And that's what's happening with like prosperity doctrine teachers who are saying you should always be healthy now. You know, you should always be wealthy. You should always be wise. Um, that's overrealized eschatology. And I think that Paul is actually responding to overrealized eschatology in First um, Corinthians at a number of points. So it actually helps you to understand First Corinthians as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's much simpler than than what I was trying to read. So Yeah. <laughs> Sorry I didn't read it well. So well, it's my brain, not your. I mean, it's my brain not understanding. It's my fault. So <laughs> I'm just not as intelligent as I need to be sometimes when I look at these things. So I don't always understand the phrasing or I, I guess maybe I was getting at what are your thoughts on Okay. The end times, have they already happened? Are we going towards that? What is your eschatological yeah. view? Yeah, I, I'm a combinationalist. So I actually think that there are things that are written about that are eschatological that had a, an, an original impact on the first readers. So they actually would have connected with something, say, going on in the first century. And also 
have a double fulfillment that is coming in the future as well, but not in every case. So it depends upon which prophecy we're talking about there. Okay. So yeah, I think that there's stuff coming in the future, but I think that there's also things that have already happened that were predicted that will have a double fulfillment. And I think that there are certain aspects of it, the realized eschatological concepts that we actually get to live into right now. All right, that's fair enough. So combinationalism. No, culminationism. Is that what it's a culmination? A culmination? I really like that culminationalism, but I was trying to say combination. Combinationalism. combinationalism. Yeah. Okay. So he's combining. But I made up that. I made that term on the spot. I don't think that's even a theological word. Well, we're Just about to make it a new congratulations, Doctor Birding's combinationalism. We love it. <laughs> so, so by saying that, you know, you by seeing double fulfillment, I'm sure that you have through the Tanakh, you've been able to find that to be the case. It's something that. Uh, something was fulfilled, much like we see in the book of Matthew, where he calls on, and this is a fulfillment of what the prophet said. And you go back and read what the prophet said, and it's like, how is that a fulfillment? That This happened in the Old Testament, but it's happening again, but it's a new realized um, fulfillment. I can totally get that. I can see that. So you're, the, you, you're saying that once you get to the New Testament, and now you have the New Testament prophets, or Christ who is prophesying that it was relevant to them in their time— but it is also relevant to those beyond the destruction of the temple, beyond as the church goes out into the world. You see it as being having dual fulfillment. Yeah, not everything, but many things do have dual fulfillments. Would you, you say? Know, one of the are the sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask you the question. Um, just in regard to the temple, because I know there's a lot of talk about the temple when it comes to the end time, uh, especially from the preterist circles. But um, do you believe that the temple? This is just. I'm just asking you personally. I don't, you know, according to combinationalism, (laughs) is the temple something that happened in the past and that is going to be fulfilled again? You think there'll be a dual fulfillment of that? There could be another rebuilt temple, but as far as something that is a good thing that God wants to take place in terms of sacrifices taking place, Mm -hmm. I don't think that the book of Hebrews allows for that. Yes. I agree so, with you. I don't know if there will be a rebuilt temple. There might be of some sort, but as as far as sacrifices, no, I don't think so. Sure. And if you have uh, with that temple, we are now the temple, the believers, Absolutely. right? So we are sure. the temple. Could it be a dual fulfillment, but the destruction of the temple could be us? Oh. Mm. Why would we be destroyed if we're the temple of the Holy yeah. Spirit. No, that's the question. If it's a dual fulfillment, it's just a basic question. If the temple was well, destroyed, and now they were apostate, and we understand that, but I'm just saying if we're looking at it from a spiritual perspective, when we look at dual fulfillment, then we also, and I'm not arguing with you, I'm just talking out loud. We do that here, we speculate all the time on the podcast, so yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with how you believe. But I was just thinking, when we look at a lot of these things in the New Testament, Christ made it very clear things were changing from the physical into the spiritual realm, especially when he spoke with Nicodemus and, and, and you know talks about being born again. And then to understand that we are no longer a physical temple made with human hands, we are a spiritual temple, right? And we have this, this high priest uh, from the order of Melchizedek. So now we are this temple— I don't see anywhere in Scripture where another temple would be destroyed. To me, it seems like the physical one that was destroyed was the one 
that mattered in, in order to what Jesus said in regard to his generation at that time. Would you see it that way? Um, probably not. No? I think that, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that I'm actually tying into everything that you're saying there, but I, I do agree that there is a spiritual temple and that we are part of that. We are, we are, let me back up just a little bit. So what does fulfillment even mean from sure. the New Testament context? We often think in terms of fulfillment being ex-prophet predicting that such and such a thing would take place and that it takes place. But from the New Testament writer's perspective, fulfillment is oftentimes a fulfillment of a historical pattern or a theological theme. So it actually can show up in multiple ways in multiple places. Mm -hmm. and, um, I would guess that a large percentage of the New Testament language of this happened to fulfill this is that kind of thing. With so, an ongoing fulfillment. Yeah, so that the exodus from Egypt can be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And Matthew can point back to Hosea. I'm talking about out of Egypt, I called my son. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a prediction. And he's referring backwards. But right. Matthew's using it future. And that's all fine because you've got patterns that God purposely put into place to point up uh, who Jesus is when he arrives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question, Sarita. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the things we always ask our guests, the, our, one of our uh, cast members, Billy, is not here tonight. So we're going to allow Cherry to ask you this final question. We were really interested. So when you die, where, where does your spirit go when you die? Yeah, I'm probably the wrong person. To be asking that question. <laughs> Why does everybody say that? <laughs> well, Everyone we, says we get that. that a lot. We get that yeah. a lot. I would understand that there's a separation of your spirit from your body for a time in a place of waiting. You're a believer in a good place of waiting uh, until which which you're conscious in because of things Paul says in places like Philippians one and. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Mm -hmm. And then at the resurrection, your spirit is rejoined with your body. And um, the promise that we have for the far future, or most of the promises for what God has for the future, are actually um, the new heavens and the new earth, where we have glorified, resurrected bodies. Not new bodies, but somehow connected to our current bodies. You know, stronger, glorious, but still bodies. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I understand it. That's good. But where exactly you are in the meantime, there isn't much in scripture about that, actually. You just have to piece together some tiny things. Well, in the new heaven and new earth, will people be able to get saved? Uh, no. Hebrews says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. I don't think so. Whenever I was just curious, because we were reading something the other day about that, and it talks about the city with 12 gates, and how on the outside of it were the sexually immoral and the idolatrous and all, but it, within the city uh, was the light, because there was no darkness there, and that these gates were always open, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Is that mm. is that um, like a call? Like Is it like a gospel call, or no? Yeah, I don't think so. 
But I don't understand everything about the book of Revelation, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> Trust Who me, does? we've got it down pat. It's been here. We've solved so many problems <laughs> in this studio. Yeah, we don't know I, I can't wait till we get to the episode where we solve Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh excited. because we talk about a lot of crazy topics in here. We, we've, we've talked about racism in America and uh, around the world. And, and we on, always, an ongoing joke is that we have solved these great things. Yeah, we've solved these problems just, yeah. just by talking about them. But no. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on. I'm so glad that I got to meet you. I hope that we can continue to correspond through email. And um, guys, go to KenBirding.com. And uh, also, it is called The Good Book Blog. Is that correct? That's a different blog, but I I blog at that as well. That's the faculty blog of Talbot School. Okay. Yep. And then if you want to know the titles of his books, what I'm going to do uh, in in this, if you guys have clicked on our episode, if you go back to the paragraph, you will see the links that will take you to, uh, I'll, I'll try to put a few of the links to his books as well as his blog and his website. So, Great. Thanks so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much. And please don't Thanks. forget, Thanks. tell Sean McDowell that the Burroughs of Bria said hi. And that Okay, we didn't see him. It's summer, so it might be a little bit, but when yeah, I see him. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. He's not gonna know who we are anyway. So <laughs> if it's a year, it'll be the same, right? But please please do tell him that we appreciate his channel. He's really doing a marvelous job out there um as an apologist. And uh of course his father changed my life um at a young age. So it was awesome. But anyway, so thank I you. Appreciate, I appreciate you guys how much you love the word of God and how much you love to talk about it and mm-hmm. dive deep into it. That just warms my heart. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. We we um boy, we really get confused by it, you know, and sometimes we read things and we're like, what in the world is it saying? We try to go back and read the, you know, Greek or the Hebrew. And we already know that using a Strong's Concordance, although powerful, doesn't really put together a sentence correctly. And so you can get skewed, but we're doing the best that we can with the English versions that we have and uh, just relying on the Lord to help us and to teach us. So, but thank you. Thank you for saying that. All right. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out. Thank you so much. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and It's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The only person you'll be able to see is Rick. Uh, This is Sarita. Hi, Sarita. So I was kind of reading up on your, trying to catch up on who we were interviewing today. I did. I did not. (laughs) I like to go in blind. That's that's great. Sometimes it's better that way anyway. Yes, I'm... I'm interested in a couple of little topics, so we'll see how that goes. See if you mention them. Well, if you mention them, maybe I'll ask about them. So, yeah, feel free to ask anything. Really, I'm pretty pretty open book, so we'll see how that goes. And where are you calling from? So I'm in Southern California near Los Angeles. Okay. Right on the border of Los Angeles County and Orange County. My grandfather lives in San Bernardino. Yeah, I had a year and a half of my growing up in San Bernardino. 
just there the other day. I have been trying to get him to come back home, but he hasn't, so. So is this home for you, Sarita? Uh, South Carolina is, yes. But I'm in North Carolina today doing their podcast. Right. Shut them in their their safety cage. Safe, safe for me. So who's the bass player? That would be Andy Bishop. He's that our sound me. engineer. I'm, I'm in the okay. other room. You can only see Rick anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter to you. Yeah, but. I'll give you a quick yeah. introduction. So this person over here is Sarita. We've been talking. <laughs> yes. And this is Cherry. Here, I'll walk in. Oh. Hi, nope. Cherry. Hi. Uh-oh. I took, yeah, come in. Thanks. Let me pull this back up so that I can see you. He's so tiny. <laughs> and this is Andy. That's the bass player. Hi. Andy. Hi, Andy. So, um, so let me tell you how this is going to go. What, what I normally do is an intro. We usually do a quick intro. Then I'll do an introduction of who you are. I got some information off of the Biola University website. I downloaded your resume, which is extensive. I'm going to read all of it. It'll take me seven hours. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm very excited, actually, to hear about this, uh, about the work that you do with music and how you teach with singing. That's I'm very interested to hear about hearing about that. Um, okay. And so... So we'll get started here in just a second. Then we'll, this is a, a testimony episode. And so we want to hear your story um, all the way from when you heard the gospel up to the present, you know, just take us on your journey. And then um, I want to tell people where they can find your books and where they can learn more about you. And then uh, we usually do a close out and that's the end of it. That's great. Awesome. I really appreciate you being a part of the show. Sure. Feel free to ask whatever you want to ask to along the way. Okay, sure. Over ask or whatever. Oh, we will. Yeah, we'll we'll pop in and ask questions. You may not be able to see the person, um, but we haven't got that fancy yet with technology. <laughs> Multi camera. Yeah, but exactly. Real quick, I just want to hear Cherry one more time before we start. Hi, Andy. Oh, you sound great, loud, clear, Sarita. One one more just for good luck. Hi, Andy. Oh, that's sweet. Happy birthday, Andy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yes. happy birthday, happy Andy. Happy birthday, My birthday Andy. tomorrow. I will be 46, I guess. I reminded him that it was his oh, birthday. We're the same age. Really? You did, yeah. really? Yeah, I'm going out of town this weekend with the band, and, and so I'll be on the road all day tomorrow. Ah. And I just did just the, the whole birthday thing, just went out the window with the being out of town. Of course. Thing. Of course. Adulting. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Are are we rolling? Uh, yes, we are. All right. Yeah, let's co let's continue to correspond. I'd really like to keep in touch with you. And um, I don't know if yeah. you ever heard our show or if you even know about our format. You know, I think I told you. You know, we have yeah. we have our we have an atheist, and we we all come from different backgrounds. Um, eschatologically, also um, some reformed, some not. You know, and so we don't really argue as much in here. We all love one another, which is pretty unique. Uh, despite all of it's our differences, cool. but it makes for great conversation, you know. That's great. I listened to a couple of your episodes um, back when we were going to do it before, mm -hmm. and that was fun. They were great. Yeah, sometimes we get a little out of control and <laughs> and wrong in a lot of ways, but you know, we're human. We try to admit that though when yeah. we when we 
realize that something is incorrect. Um, I speak Spanish, so a lot of times when I can't understand the English or it doesn't make sense, I'll open my Spanish Bible. And because they have a lot of the same tenses of verbs and sentence structure. The pluperfect. The pluperfect. We learned the pluperfect tense (laughs) In Hebrew, yeah. That was, uh, uh, yeah, that was interesting. But um, sometimes I'll go into my Spanish Bible because I just, the English just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So. Well, one of the best ways when you don't know Hebrew and Greek to figure out what's going on, what the translators are struggling with, is just to lay side by side 10 really good translations. They all have to be good ones. You know, whether they're coming from a more conservative or a more liberal side of things, as long as they're good quality ones, I mean, don't do things like message and for sure not that passion thing, whatever that is. Yeah. Avoid those. But as far as if you can lay those side by side, you can often figure out what they're struggling with by where they diverge. Mm. And that's probably the best way to get closest to the language thing. So make sure you do that. That's an excellent idea. So you take the King James Version, the New King James Version, the RSV, the NASB, you put them all together, you read the same verse, and you try to see where they... The Young's literal translation has been very helpful in a lot of ways. So, yeah, good stuff. We don't often be really close to like the New American Standard or the old ASV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's great to do that. Yeah. Well, Dr. Birding, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great Thanks, summer off and let's stay in touch. Thanks. And to the others of you too, uh, Sarita and Cherry and uh, Andy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> good job. It was great being with you guys. All right. It's good to be with you. Nice thanks so you. much. Yes, thank you. Have a good day. God bless.